There's an old Greek saying, happy is the heart that sails into Delos. Some years ago, while visiting Greece, I took a catamaran from Mykonos into Delos, which is a small island in the center of the Aegean Sea. More than 2,100 years ago, it was the most important of the Cycladic Islands. Its population was in the thousands. Today, its residents number no more than a handful, and none are permanent. Only caretakers and archaeologists are allowed to stay overnight. Its former glory is lost. A visitor is greeted by ruins upon ruins, stones, shards, and broken columns. I was accompanied by friends who were artists. One was a Greek woman, the only one among us who had been to Delos before. As we motored into the ancient sacred harbor, Cadia said over the sound of waves and wind, Happy is the heart. Then she warned us, Wear hats. There's no cover and it's always hot. A Japanese artist asked, What's so special about this place? Cadia laughed and said, This is the island of the gods. Whatever you do, say nothing insulting about Apollo, and only praise his sister. Artemis. This is episode 50 of Garner's Greek Mythology. We have listeners from 169 countries, so welcome to everyone wherever you are. I'm your host, mythologist Patrick Garner. I'm also the author of the Naxos Quartet, which is four novels about Greek gods in the contemporary world. The books include The Winnowing, Cycladic Girls, Homo Divinitus, and All That Lasts. You can learn more about them at my website, patrickgarnerbooks.com. To add them to your bookshelf, go to amazon.com. And yes, I'm actively looking for your support. Commercial sponsors want to be part of this podcast, but I don't want them here. Instead, I know that those of you listening will also be fascinated by new compelling stories about mythology. My novels are all about your favorite Greek gods. Do you really think they only lived in the past? Support this podcast by buying a copy. Better yet, buy all four. However, if you're simply not a reader, I invite you to listen to my novel Homo Divinitus. It's part of the Nexus Quartet and is available on Amazon or Audible.com. Your support, as a listener or a reader, will not only keep this podcast going, but will keep it ad-free. Now let's take a time machine backwards. We'll dial in about 450 BC. That's almost 2,500 years ago. At that time, Greece was the Mediterranean's dominant power, and Delos was its sacred epicenter. You'll recall from our previous episodes about Apollo and his sister Artemis that they were twins born on Delos. Their mother was Leto, a lovely titan who was one of Zeus's many unwilling lovers. When Hera, Zeus's wife, discovered the girl was pregnant, 
She hounded her from place to place for months. At the last moment, Zeus intervened and found Leto's shelter on Delos for the delivery. The sea god Poseidon was also involved in the search. He turned out to be a good choice of wingman because of the island's geography. You see, the Greeks believed that Delos floated about the sea, unanchored, blown by the wind, and carried here and there on the waves. The very name Delos means in Greek, appeared from amidst the waves. Zeus promised his few residents that if Leto could give birth there, Poseidon would tie the islands to the sea bottom with diamond chains. In addition, Leto herself promised that the island would prosper beyond anyone's imagination. Now, as we step out of our time machine and into the past, we observe that Delos is, in all reality, a boom town. A quick glance around confirms that the island is alive with countless merchants, traders, priests, and the usual bureaucrats. Its residents come from as far away as Athens, Egypt, Persia, and Macedonia. The island is small, but as cosmopolitan as any major city. And as we quickly learn, there's a dark side. Delos is also a vast marketplace for the slave trade. We carefully step into the hot sun. Our robes fall to our ankles and our brimmed hats are a welcome protection. As we look about, we're overwhelmed by the number of people in the narrow streets. Music streams from dozens of temples. Incense wafts from the marble buildings that line the passageways. Statues of the great gods stand at the entrances. Marble lions line a road that leads to the sea. Veiled women carry pots of water from the many cisterns. Priestesses, in the service of almost every known god, stand before the gleaming temples chanting hymns. Rams and sheep are lined up for sacrifice. Truly, we think, Delos is aptly named the Island of the Gods. What happened to Leto, who ended up on this island years before? Zeus and Poseidon ensured that she was safe. As her contractions began, she prepared herself beneath a date palm which grew on the edge of a shallow lake. She was surrounded by other goddesses who tried to help. After an unimaginable nine days of labor, Apollo was born and shortly after, his sister Artemis. Apollo, who became known as Far Shooter, immediately began practicing with a bow and strumming his lyre. Artemis, known as Straight Shooter, did likewise, picking up a bow and sending arrows off into the sea. With their birth, the island became one of the most sacred places in Greece. Because Apollo was often called the sun god, the Greeks whispered that it was 
bathed in the light of Zeus's son, Apollo. And as we can see while you stand beside our time machine, the prosperity that Leto promised has become a reality. Now as we gaze over the buildings and crisscrossing streets, we see a shallow lake beside a white temple. At the edge of the lake, there's a single date palm. We know instantly it's Leto's palm, the one she leaned against while giving birth. Beside the lake is the largest of the island's temples. Its white marble is so bright that we're forced to squint as we look at it. A massive statue of a god stands atop a column at the temple's entrance, cradling a lyre in his arms. It's Apollo, who looks out over the sacred harbor. Beside Apollo's temple is a more modest one. It's a sanctuary to Leto. Inside is a wooden statue of her covered in a colorful robe. Artemis, too, has a temple on Delos. Like her brothers, it looks over the sacred harbor. Its fluted columns rise gracefully toward the sun. We bow briefly in respect. After all, it is these three divinities who have blessed the sun-drenched isle. Power and prestige accrued to any city that controlled the island. We know from multiple chronicles that Athens did so. Then an unusual thing happened. In 540 BC, the Athenians decided to purify the island in Apollo's honor. They removed all burials within sight of his temple and reinterred them on the nearby island of Rhenia. Then 115 years later, a second purification occurred. This time, all burials on the island were removed, with the exception of seven tombs associated with Apollo's son, Aeneas. Finally, from that date forward, no deaths or births were allowed on Delos. We know of nowhere else in Greece where this curious practice occurred. Why did the Athenians go to this trouble? While explanations vary, the most popular was that Greeks believed Apollo to be offended by death. And because women sometimes died during childbirth, Greeks could not risk allowing them to deliver on Delos. As a consequence, the ancient cycle of birth and death was disrupted on the island. A similar disruption is featured in my novel, The Winnowing, which is set in contemporary America. The story centers on scientists working to eliminate death altogether. It's a bestseller and genuine page-turner. In 478 BC, the Athenians founded a league of cities, all clustered around the edge of the Mediterranean. Member cities paid a tithe to Athens to ensure that they were both protected from warring neighbors and that they could trade with the vast Athenian empire. The League's treasury was based on Delos. Levies from the hundreds of cities were 
stored in its gleaming treasury building. So although Apollo could be affronted by birth and death, he apparently encouraged trade and the amassing of wealth. Consequently, and as a fulfillment of Leto's promise, the island became not only famous, but increasingly rich. With the newfound wealth came new construction. Along the sacred road, which ran beside the sacred lake, temples were packed side by side for almost a half a mile. As we stand on a small hillock at the edge of the city, we marvel at the grandeur and the magnificence below us. An archaic temple honors Hera, Zeus's wife who, ironically, had forced Leto to hide from her at this very place. Zeus is honored with his own grand temple. In addition, a second structure in his name has been erected on Mount Kynthos, the highest spot on the island. A multi-column temple for Hermes overlooks the harbor. Dionysus, too, is worshipped in a temple along the sacred road. The goddess Tichi, who I featured in episode 49, has an important temple. Aphrodite is hardly neglected as her temple, too, stands nearby. Heracles, the heroic son of Zeus, is richly honored as well. Midway up Mount Kynthos is a cave dedicated to both Apollo and Heracles. Massive slabs of granite that may date back to the Mycenaean era make up its roof, and at its entrance is a round sacrificial altar. The visitor who stands at its entrance looks out over the harbor. Even today, a raw energy seems to emanate from its ancient stones. The Greeks hardly can find temples on Delos to just the Olympic gods. For instance, Asclepius, Apollo's son, and the famous healer and physician, is honored with the sanctuary. Even Naxos and Athens have temples that could be accessed by their citizens. We know, too, as visitors from a later time, that over the centuries, temples to foreign gods began to spring up, a sign of the increasingly cosmopolitan nature of its inhabitants. Egypt played an unusual and critical role in these new sanctuaries. A remarkable temple to Isis, a goddess who was at times associated with Artemis, arose on the island's shore. Anubis, the dog-headed Egyptian god, also had a sanctuary, as did Serapis, a god whose cult was encouraged by Ptolemy, a pharaoh in the 3rd century B.C. And as a further indication of the Greeks' growing acceptance of other religions, there was a synagogue as well as a sanctuary to Syrian gods such as Dagon and Baal. As with any Greek city, Delos sported a gymnasium. There was a small theater district with an outdoor amphitheater for performances. And somewhat unusually for an isolated island, Delos had a hippodrome. 
Hippo was the Greek word for horse. It was a place where horses and chariots were raced. By the last century BC, Delos had up to 30,000 residents. They, like all Greeks, appreciated tragedy and comedy and the excitement of horse racing. I mentioned earlier in this episode that Delos was a marketplace for the sale of slaves. Up to 10,000 slaves were sold every day on Delos. Historians have concluded that the island became the world's largest slave market. Many of the slaves were purchased from pirates who terrorized shipping in the eastern Mediterranean. There's the old saying, what goes around comes around, and ironically, Delos itself became an unwitting victim of slavery. During a war with Rome in 88 BC, King Mithridates VI of Pontus, a city in present-day Turkey, sacked Delos. The slave traders there, that is, those who survived the attack, became slaves themselves. Apollo did nothing to intervene, nor did the other gods move to prevent the destruction. The island never recovered. Twenty years later, the island was again raided by pirates who destroyed whatever was left. After that, Delos, stripped of its wealth and left in ruins, became uninhabited. The Romans who controlled the region made no attempt to rebuild. The island of the gods was suddenly and forever after an abandoned isle full of broken columns, shards, and only dim hints of its former glory. Today, Greece has erected a modern museum that contains numerous artifacts. Archaeological work continues sporadically, weather permitting. My own impression, after spending hours on Delos, was one of immense sadness mixed with an overwhelming sense of awe. The Greek region contains thousands of archaeological sites, but Delos, exposed as it is to the sun and salt wind, is a rare example of how the sacred can be upended in a heartbeat and how great glory can end in ruin. Perhaps most fascinating, the many gods honored on the island turned away at the moment of attack. Why? Had they already lost interest in the ancient forms of worship? Had the Delians gone too far with their exploitation, with their slave trade? We'll never know. All that is certain is that when the marauding ships sailed into the sacred harbor, the island sat helpless, exposed to the fury of the swords and spears of the raiders who plundered the island's wealth. Delos is also featured prominently in my novel Cycladic Girls, which is part of the Naxos Quartet. In this story, the Olympic gods re-enter the modern world after a retreat on Delos of 1,600 years. Once again, you'll be 
mesmerized by their power and their shortcomings. They continue to maneuver and scheme. They're tricksters and traitors. None of them trust each other. They appear and disappear at will. In short, they've returned. Join me for the next episode of Garner's Greek Mythology and visit patrickgarnerbooks.com. The website is all about this podcast and about my novels and even about my artwork, some of which include the Olympians. The books are available on Amazon. Their theme, of course, is that the Greek gods never left. As I say, they're here now. By the way, if you have youngsters in your life, there's a new children's book you have to get. It's called Read Aloud Stories for Young Listeners by D.K. Garner. There are no Greek gods but animals, always a part of Greek life, play an important role in these charming stories. They talk with children at the moment a little help is needed. Stories are between two and nine minutes long. See Patrick Garner Books for more information. And thanks for listening. This is your host, Patrick Garner.